What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're listening to Vanished in the Valley. Today, we're going to be talking about the nightmare of Child Protective Services. And for today's episode, I'm mostly going to focus on California Child Protective Services and counties around me, counties that I am aware of. And I'll have a couple of stories from our listeners and their nightmares with CPS, or I believe in their states it's called like Department of Human Services, Department of Family Services. It's all the same bullshit though. So we are about to get into the nightmare of quote unquote child protective services. Let's start off with some statistics. Fun, I know numbers, but here we go. In 2017, 1,720 children died from either abuse or neglect, and one quarter of those children were known to Child Protective Services. And just so you know, abuse is up 12%, and that 12%, that's not including the corona increase, because I don't know if you guys know, over the last four months, abuse, sexual molestation, suicide, all of that has increased too. So I'm not even talking about a corona increase. Before the corona bullshit, we had a 12% increase. Some of that can be attributed to new laws that make mandatory reporting tougher. So basically more people have to report in more situations. But the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children found out that of 18,500 endangered runaways reported to them in 2016, one in six were likely victims of child sex trafficking. Of those, 86% were in care of social services when they went missing. In 2013, the FBI did a 70-city nationwide raid where 60% of the victims came from foster or group homes. In 2014, New York authorities estimated that 85% of sex trafficking victims were previously in the child welfare system. I could go on and on with numbers like this from different states, from different authorities, whether they be federal or state. The numbers are through the roof and... I'm hoping more and more people are becoming aware of the problem, but what's going on where it seems like all of these children that are being taken from their families to supposedly protect them are then either ending up runaways or being sex trafficked. It's happening way too much. And just a little bit, like a while ago, I was talking about, you know, how the numbers of abuse have increased by 12% and it has nothing to do, that wasn't talking about any Rona, (laughs) no Rona is there. Well, just so you know, kids have now been taken because, due to the coronavirus. Basically what happened is the LA County Department of Children and Family Services recommended that the court remove a child from their parents' custody after the parent tested positive for COVID-19. Now, this is a non-offending parent. They don't have a record of child abuse. 
and the judge ruled in favor of the Child Protective Services. I'm like, are you fucking serious? This, as the CDC has literally just announced that only 6% of coronavirus deaths are technically from the coronavirus. All the other ones, the fucking 180,000 something deaths, those people actually had two to three other disease processes going on and or advanced age. So something like, I think it's like right under 11,000. 11,000 people in the United States died from coronavirus, but we're going to take children away from their families over that shit. It's like, really? Really? Do I need to fucking go on a rant over that fucking really? Don't worry. I'm not going to rant yet. (laughs) Yet. So I'm going to start this little CPS nightmare with a story from a woman out of actually my hometown county, Contra Costa County. And basically a complete nightmare this poor woman has had to go through just to get her children back. And they're, oh my God, you guys, when you hear this story, this woman, I swear to God, her name is Andrea Wood and she has two kids, okay? And right now she has basically taken CPS to court, CPS and Contra Costa County. She's trying to get the laws changed so CPS can't just come in and terminate parental rights based upon certain factors. I'm going to start the story from the beginning so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So an anonymous complaint was made by a vengeful neighbor regarding Wood's house being trashed. The tip actually did turn out to be fake, but it did spark a nightmare for her. She has two kids, like I was saying earlier. Her teenage son and her daughter were taken away. And as of right now, she's gotten her son back. But check this out. Her daughter was placed in the care of the very neighbor who called in the fake complaint. Yeah, does that seem like a fucking conflict? I'm getting some of my information from legal.com. It has like all the legal documents if you want to look at it there. There wasn't a lot about it anywhere on the internet. There is one news story. It's at nationalfile.com. Go take a look there if you want to read it. Basically, it looks like hell of people here, the CPS and some lawyers were conspiring against this mom. Andrea Wood says that officers of the court in Contra Costa County are violating federal law in an attempt to adversely influence the findings of a prominent doctor in a case involving her child with special needs. The county receives federal funding every time a child is seized and retained and they are further incentivized in cases of children with special needs. Is this why they're so resistant on returning special needs children to their families? If you look into it, children with special needs, they have a much higher rate of being taken from their family and not being returned. It could be because they're making more money on these kids. And it it goes even further. Contra Costa County Council, Patricia Lowe, and social worker Edith Williams have basically been exposed in their attempt to exert undue influence on the county-approved doctor who was appointed in this case. What they were doing is just, it's horrible. They were actually contacting this doctor, trying to influence him, They had sent him emails, they had called him, basically saying, well, the court doesn't want to give them back. We don't think it's a fit parent. 
Miss Wood and her attorney, she's, they're saying that, you know, she, these social workers and Patricia Lowe, the lawyer, are unduly trying to influence his decision. But check this out. Not once, not twice, but three times has this unnamed doctor found in Andrea Wood's favor. He's not finding abuse. He's not finding neglect. But apparently CPS and Contra Costa County, they don't like that. They really want this kid and they really want her in their custody. These, uh, the workers, the Contra Costa County workers, have further admitted to attempting to convince the lawyer to contact the doctor for the purpose of sharing the court's opinion with the doctor. It's like, how many people here are going to conspire to try to change this doctor's mind? The doctor submitted two letters of recommendation, finding in Mrs. Wood's favor, to the court. And then the doctor was issued a subpoena demanding the mother's medical records. Which, are you fucking serious? You can't just do that. You, there's all those HIPAA laws for a reason, to protect you from this kind of shit. The subpoena was canceled after Andrea reminded Miss Lowe, the lawyer for Contra Costa County, that the subpoena was illegal. When the attempts to sway the doctor failed, there was a third letter submitted to the court, which the lawyer, Miss Lowe, attempted to block as part of evidence the third recommendation from the doctor. Even though the doctor provided proof, he had emailed three letters to this woman. She's saying she never received anything. And he was able to prove it. So at this point, they were able to prove Miss Lowe is committing fraud here. The actions of Lowe and Williams are illegal in many respects. There is the HIPAA situation where the doctor can't turn over any of the records unless there's consent. And, you know, Miss Lowe, is a, she's an attorney. Her deliberate violations make this uh, breach of HIPAA law even more serious. So it just sounds like, I don't know if they just want the money, if there is some sort of personal vendetta against Andrea Wood. Contra Costa County and CPS seems to be going for the throat here. And all the while, it's the child that's going to suffer because, you know, like I was just telling you those numbers... 85% of these kids that are being sex trafficked come from foster care. So foster care is not an ideal place to have children, especially if you care about their well-being. When Andrea's kids were first seized from her, CPS did what's called a case plan. And it's just a few steps, classes, whatnot, that the mother had to complete before she could get her child back. Well, Andrea completed the whole entire case plan. And after she did that, she was informed by the court that now she would have to admit guilt to a number of charges which were based purely on hearsay. But check this out. If she admits guilt on these uh, hearsay charges, she could have her son taken away at that point. At some point in the future, just based on unsubstantiated claims. She would basically be waiving her rights to pursue any type of remedial action. Let's get back to the fraud of the lawyer, Miss Lowe. So she committed a further act of fraud in claiming that the county had not received proof of the mother's completion of the case plan, which included recommendations from her therapist. Andrea was never given the opportunity to challenge these lies, as the judge in the case rejected the plea. 
to commit fraud, to impinge upon patient privacy, and to do so for monetary gain at the expense of children and their families, and especially children with special needs. This constitutes corruption by any definition. There's officers of the courts conspiring. There's CPS. It's multiple people at this point that are trying to get the special needs child out of the mother's hands. For an officer of the court to do so in the full belief that she is above the law suggests that this is corruption that is systematic. When Andrea Packwood, who is president of California Family Advocacy, brought the situation to the attention of a grand jury, the district attorney's office and Supreme Court Judge Barbara Hinton's, it went unchecked. It seems none of them are willing to enforce the law. Nobody cares. So what are you supposed to do at this point? The crisis in the California child welfare system, it seems to be getting worse. Social workers are underpaid, they're overworked, and they were just caught disposing of hundreds of child abuse reports, including sexual abuse, and physical abuse of children. The Sacramento Bee actually had a whole story about it. They're saying a Madera County social worker intentionally discarded hundreds of child abuse reports from last year. And they got this all from the Freedom of Information Act. Anybody can access this. They're saying 357 reports may have been neglected for up to two months. The emails were all found in 2019. They're saying right now that there's no known evidence that any child died because of this whole situation. But I guarantee you some of those kids were abused or sexually abused and the abuse continued. I'm just like, are you fucking serious right now? Dump hundreds of cases, hundreds of reports of abuse. Out of those uh, 357 reports, 75 did include possible sexual or physical abuse. And anytime there's that type of report, social workers are supposed to respond within 24 hours. 248 of those reports involve neglect. And neglect, I guess, is just a 10-day response. So while all these reports are being neglected, and I don't know what these social workers are fucking doing, why are they either having all these reports sitting there collecting dust or not checking them at all. In the meantime, all these other kids are in the system. They're in foster care. And let me just uh, let me just tell you about a couple of stories coming out of California because it's fucking crazy. There is a little father and son duo, Simon Mendoza Chavez, who's 64, and Simon Magana Chavez, who's 31, both from Contra Costa County, living in Antioch. They had multiple charges against them. They were foster parents from 2011 to 2017. And on June 13th, 2019, members of the Antioch Police Department started investigating an extensive sexual abuse case. The abuse involved several minors that were victimized by the father and son. And... You know what? Earlier this month, in August, Antioch detectives from their investigations bureau, they arrested both of them in connection with the crimes. They were charged with sexual abuse of multiple children, unlawfully having sex with a minor, and lewd acts with a child. Simon Mendoza was a foster parent for Contra Costa County CPS 
for 18 years. Now, they both have pleaded not guilty, but for parents that are stuck in this nightmare CPS community, they're, they're not surprised at all. One father, Mitchell Smith, said they pushed his daughter to near death. They've stripped him of all the rights, and he's been fighting for years to get his child back. The Department of Contra Costa County Employment and Human Services Develop Department, they don't want to answer either. They got nothing to say, and it just seems like that's where all these parents are getting stonewalled. They want answers from authorities, and authorities have nothing for them. If you try to, I guess, run numbers and try to find sexual misconduct related to foster parents, they keep running into technical issues and ask to come back. A couple of the points that they want to make clear up front is most records in the foster system that could identify children are private. This isn't even like, you know, court records because that's you just you can't access it. If you interview some of the older children that are stuck in foster care or foster homes, group homes, things like that, a lot of them will tell you that there's underage prostitution going on, which is basically underage rape because, you know, you can't consent to being a prostitute if you're under 18. They say there's drug use. They say there's rampant sexual abuse. And it was 10 times worse in these group homes than it ever was in their home. And if you look at the numbers, once these kids get in the system, it is so hard for them to actually get out of the system and lead a normal life afterwards. It's kind of like damning them to a life of just uphill trying to get away from foster care, the court systems, and just a lot of people will say, you know, the foster system leads directly into the prison system. And the problem I'm finding is finding actual statistics and numbers of what's going on here. A lot of the records, like I was saying earlier, are sealed or they're private databases. It's not something you can just like look up foster care, sexual assault, foster care abuse. It's not worded that way. So you almost have to like look directly into the group homes and see what type of reports are coming directly from them. It's very difficult to find out exactly what's going on in the system. But I can tell you it's all fucked up from what I have seen. Another story I was able to dig up about another foster care pervert parent was from 2016. It was a 49-year-old Contra Costa County foster parent named Michael Mallet. And he actually ended up committing suicide by police, which I kind of wish more would do to save us the fucking tax dollars and time it takes to, I guess, uh, punish these assholes. Let me save some of the thousands of dollars I'm spending every year on taxes. Just go suicide yourself by cop. Totally joking. Totally joking. Don't actually do that. I don't want the police to be all traumatized. But anyway, he uh, let me let me just read you his affidavit here. Michael Lee Mallet did willfully, unlawfully and lewdly commit a lewd and lavacious act upon and with the body and certain parts and members of a Jane Doe child under the age of 14 years with the intent of arousing, appealing to, and gratifying the lust, passions, and sexual desires of the said defendant 
Michael Lee Mallet and the said child. So what happened is this child, this little girl, was taken from her great-grandmother and put into this guy's home after somebody fired a gun in her driveway and I guess it prompted a CPS to link the house with gang activity, which everybody denies. That was never proven. It was just an accusation. So the preteen child was placed in his house and the great-grandmother, she would never have even known that, but a social worker, quote-unquote, slipped and let her know about it. And apparently the social worker was actually punished for sharing that information. The girl, the little preteen, when she would come back to visit her great-grandmother, the grandma says she would be wearing thongs, like flip-flops, different clothes, because the clothes she bought for her were being stolen by other foster children. And right there, that leads me to think, okay, great. There's other kids in this home, other foster kids. Are they also being sexually abused? They had, uh, I, apparently there was videos on cell phones, well, accusations of videos on cell phones of this preteen girl doing sexual acts with other kids. And apparently, I guess CPS says they tried to investigate the, apparently they went to the home to confiscate it and they couldn't even find it. The grandmother is saying that a social worker coerced her to claim that she had been touched inappropriately by a male cousin at Doris's home. A claim both the girl and the grandma and the girl's psychologist strongly deny and doubt. So it's like, why are social workers having to coerce people to make up false claims? Are they getting paid extra money for keeping this girl in the system? Another parent whose daughter was in the system and also at Malay's home in Contra Costa County says there was an 11-year-old girl who was living on the same property with his daughter. She said she was molested for some time while being there for four years. She finally said something when she was 11 years old. And he's saying CPS is not willing to take any responsibility for it. He confronted CPS about it and they said, you should be happier. You got your kids back. And if you have a problem with it, get a lawyer. They said, we had no way of knowing at the time. We checked his background and it came back clear. Well, this guy's daughter is now 12 and she's saying she was physically abused at the home. He says she's still having a lot of problems and suffering from trauma from being abused. Whether formal charges were ever filed, many kids who cycle through the CPS system in Contra Costa County are clearly in danger. And these are just two, two families that do foster care that I've told you about that are abusive. There are so many more. They're just really hard to track down because like I was telling you, there's no official records just based upon the foster care system. It's hard to even just research CPS as a whole and their numbers with abuse, neglect, and children dying or being abused in their custody. So I don't know, maybe the first step in changing the system is to get CPS as a whole, like as a nationwide program, to be more transparent on the number of kids that are coming in there and getting abused once in the system. Because can you imagine getting your kid taken away and suddenly they're being abused by strangers, sexually abused by strangers, and in some case, 
dying or being murdered by these fucking foster parents. That's actually how I decided to focus in on the whole CPS situation. I was happening to, you know, just be going about my day when I heard about the only female on Georgia's death row. Now check out this whole fucked up story. Tiffany Moss and the girl's biological father, the girl's name is Amani, they actually starved her to death. And you would think, oh, this must have come out of nowhere, come out of the blue, nobody knew anything about it. Well, that's not actually true. Check this out. In 2010, when Imani was six, her teachers reported that they had some concerns to social services. And that resulted in Tiffany being charged. She ended up pleading guilty to hitting Imani with a belt. And because she pled guilty, she actually lost her job as a preschool teacher. So I guess right from there, it just kind of starts getting worse for Imani. She gets pulled out of school, she's kept at home, and the abuse just escalates. Two years later, Amani attempted to run away twice. She tried to sleep in the bushes rather than go home. When she was found, she said she didn't want to go home and claimed that her stepmother had tied her up with belts and put her in cold showers. Tiffany, of course, denied it all, and there wasn't enough evidence to bring any more charges. So Amani was stuck back with biological dad and Tiffany all the while Imani's biological mom she was trying to get back custody she had previously lost it because she had substance abuse problems there was no child abuse issues against her she had substance abuse issues but this poor little girl was taken out of her mother's care put with her biological dad and stepmom who would both eventually end up starving her to death there's two different occasions where Tiffany sent pictures to Amon of meals she cooked him and the other two children, but no food for Amani. And this whole time she's wasting away, slowly starving to death. On November 2nd, 2013, Amon called 911 saying that his 10-year-old daughter was dead. When the police get there, they're horrified, disgusted. They see a galvanized steel trash can that has a partly burned body of little Imani. And what happens next? They get arrested. Tiffany had already left, ran to her mom's house, but she was tracked down. And at first, Iman said Imani had died from eating chemicals on accident, but <laughs> instead of calling 911, they decide burning this girl's body would be the better avenue here. But obviously that is bullshit. They figured it out pretty quickly. Because when Imani died, she was 32 pounds. That's like the average weight of like, what, a two-year-old, four-year-old? She was just severely malnourished. It's about this time Imani's story is changing. He said that on October 22nd, the stepmother had called him to say Imani was dead. But, you know, if you listen to the 911 call, you listen to all the different stories they came up with, they basically deprive this girl of food for so long that she starves to death in bed, and then these two adults get together to try to cover it up. 
and decide the best course of action is to put this 10-year-old's 32-pound body into a trash can and burn it. I think uh, a lot of it was Tiffany. She was still on probation from the first time she abused Imani. So she was afraid she was going to lose her children. But, I mean, come on. What kind of fucking terrible people are you to slowly starve a child to death over two, three years? <sighs> and... When they decided to drive Imani's body out to this little area where the trash can is, where they, you know, burn the body, they took the other two kids with them. It's not like they just, one of them brought these other two, I guess, half-brother and sister with them to burn this poor girl's body. Iman said they watched for about five minutes and at that point figured out it wasn't going to be thousands of degrees like you would need to actually burn a body. So they no shit got Imani's body back in the car and brought it home. I mean, come on, really? The next day after the burning is when her biological dad, Iman, called authorities and reported what had happened. So it looks like around 2015, he decides to testify against Tiffany and he pleads guilty to felony murder. He's sentenced to life in prison. But... You know, like I was just saying, at the end of her trial and sentencing on Monday, she's sentenced to death. And she acted as her own lawyer. I don't know why. I don't know what made her think that would be a fucking brilliant idea to have a preschool, ex-preschool teacher act as your own attorney in a fucking capital case. But apparently she thought God would help her through. Well, (laughs) looks like you got your answer, honey. I could go on and on. Because these cases, just these few I've told you, this is just California. And there are so many more. I had one of our listeners write in and talk about how she lost custody over testing dirty for marijuana. I'm like, really? Marijuana? What are they going to do next? Like, did you test dirty for caffeine over there? Are they going to take your kids away for caffeine? Come the fuck on, CPS. But, I don't know. It's just a fucked up situation like everything else I talk about and I don't know what else uh I don't know what we can do I like I said the lady in Contra Costa County is suing CPS to get laws changed but that's gonna take a while so we'll see what happens and I don't know if anything uh comes of this cat the case in Contra Costa County I'll definitely update you guys and before I go I just uh, wanted to let everybody know it looks like Fort Bliss was jealous of Fort Hood and Fort Bragg because now they have a missing soldier. His name is Richard Halliday. He's six foot tall, 21 years old. He has green eyes and brown hair. And check this out. He's been missing since July 24th. And apparently the, the army didn't even let the family know he was missing for four weeks. So if you happen to know anything about Richard Halliday, call 941-677-0060. But uh, I don't know, guys. Every week it's a new missing soldier and missing kids and all this horrible shit. But I'm not going to keep screaming about it. Going to do it until some shit starts changing. But I don't know. All I can tell you like I do every fucking week is... Be aware, and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao. Are you lost?